that you would that you would speak to us and that our hearts would be ready to accept what you give to us in Jesus name we pray amen David Moon Today's scripture comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. We are in a series on creation. This is part 12, and... Um, Today, today I'm going to roll out a grenade, and that grenade is called gender. And then I'll jump on top of the grenade, and then you can watch me blow up, okay? <laughs> um, in all seriousness, one of the things I want to say, um, these are difficult sermons to prepare because the subject matter in today, in our, in our culture today, is deeply controverted, and there's so many pitfalls of places that could cause you confusion and maybe even just offense. I may say something, and it may just make you mad. <laughs> One of the things I want to say is it's impossible to say everything, and there's so many things that need to be said. So a lot of my um, sermon prepping, and I have prepared really hard for these messages in particular, and I've, I've done considerable amount of reading and learning. Um, there's difficult questions, I mean, difficult choices about selection. What am I going to say? What am I going to not say? We only have so much time here, okay? And I already know some of you think, you know, I go on kind of long. So, but one of the things I want to say to you is if you have a question, if something I say to you is confusing or even offensive, you can ask a question, okay? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be upset. Um, you can, e you can email me, susang, S-O-O-S-A-N-G, at reviveprez, P-R-E-S, dot church, and I'll, I'll, I'll happily try to answer your question. If you ask a question that I think a lot of people would want to, under um, to know the answer to, I, I will try to make a, a, a YouTube video on it, and we'll, um, we'll, we'll upload that to our YouTube channel so that you know, a lot of people can be blessed um, by the answers to these questions, okay? So... That's where I want to start. Let's get into it. Today's message I've entitled, Created Good versus Secular Gender Religion. Created Good versus Secular Gender Religion, Part 1. The goodness and potential glory of created sexual complementarity. I know it's a bit of a mouthful. But you were created good. And it's really good that there's this thing called sexual complementarity, okay? Part two, the anti-Christian secular religion of gender. Uh, most people in, in America believe there's something called male and female 
and it's from God. <laughs> so even if you are not a Christian, do you know that you basically agree with the Christian understanding of creation on male and female, but reason there is tremendous fighting and anger in our culture today is because there's a new religion arising, and I call it um, secular religion of gender, okay? Part three, Christ and the fullness of the image of God. That's why I want to talk about what it means to be human today, the image of God. We must learn to be male and female fully according to the image of God, not be male and female according to the secular ideology of our times, okay? So let's get into it. Part one, um, can I ask my wife, can you, can you get her water here? I didn't come up here fully ready. Part one, the goodness and potential glory of sexual complementarity. And let me start with a little story. I think it was 2016. And um, our family was returning from a trip on the other side of the country. My son was in 10th grade, and we were looking at colleges. And you guys have flown Southwest. Sometimes if you, know, you get a bad number in Southwest, because I, I was one of these you know, dumb guys that didn't get myself a good number, you end up sitting all over the place, and I got a middle seat. Okay, So I took a middle seat, and I was sitting next to, on my right, you know, next to the window, was an older, uh, you know, Caucasian woman. She was probably a boomer age, you know, um, lady. So she's older than me. And the, to my left on the aisle was a rather young woman. She was college age. She also was white. Right? And what was really interesting about her was she was reading a book which I knew. <laughs> it was a book written by um, a famous uh, columnist from the New York Times named David Brooks. I had read this book. I really liked this book very much. So I struck up a conversation with her. I said, how do you like that book? And she was about halfway through it. And it got, then it got stranger. She, she, apparently, she was taking a class in college. She was a senior in college. And she was very smart indeed. She was at Yale. And you know who assigned her that book? It was David Brooks. <laughs> so the guy who wrote the book was teaching the class who assigned his own book. I mean, you know, convenient. Make people buy the book that you wrote, OK? All right, but um, she is reading this book. And so she started telling me a little bit about what she thought of this book. And she asked me what I thought of it. And so we're off to an interesting conversation. And then she said to me, and so I said, what are you going to do after you finish school? And she said, oh, and um, she said, I'm going to go to law school. And I actually have already gotten in, and I'm trying to make a big decision right now. And so she told me she had gotten into you know, a couple of schools that you may have never heard of, one called Yale Law School. And the other one is called Stanford Law School. So here's this girl sitting next to me, trying to decide between Yale Law School and Stanford Law School. I mean, real hard decision there, right? And then she turns to me and says, what do you do for a living? So I've had many of these uh, airplane conversations. And when I get to this part, I was like, OK, here we go. I'm going to say I'm a pastor. And one of two things usually happens. They go, you say I'm a pastor? And they go, pastor? They don't, of course, you know, it doesn't actually, they don't say it that loud. It just happens inside their heart, OK? And then what happens is it's invisible, but it's, it's, it's very real. This wall comes up. This wall comes up. You know, I mean, it might be a person who grew up Catholic, and they're like, oh, pastor, that's like a priest. I'm afraid of my priest. OK? So the wall comes up, and then I go, awesome. Time to go to sleep. <laughs> OK? The other, uh, the other thing that happens is sometimes uh, they start asking you questions. They're like, oh, the pastor. They got God questions. And this is an awesome time for them because they go, they're thinking, okay, I don't actually want to meet like a real pastor in my own city. I might actually meet him, and then, you know, I might have to, I'll feel guilty in front of him or something like this. But this guy is like a captive audience for the next few hours, and then he's gone. So I could just ask him whatever I want, and if I hate his guts or hate what he says, whatever. It's a big, no big deal. Or sometimes they actually have deep pain. <laughs> so when they go into that, oh, can I ask you a question? I'll say, oh, 
I was pretty tired, okay? You know, after looking at all these, I was pretty tired. So she goes, can I ask you a question? I said, oh, it's one of those. So I was thinking, okay, it's work time. Thanks, Jesus. Okay? We're here to work. Put on the pastor hat. Let's work. And you know what the first question she started asking me? She said, can I ask you about Christians and your stance on homosexuality? I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was immediately. I was going, like, oh, what, what can you ask about forgiveness of sins or something like that? <laughs> I was like, oh, man. So we started talking. She started asking me, um, honest. And she was a real intellectual. Okay, There's a couple of things that right away. Number one, she was totally on the left, like far left. She believed in all that stuff, all this gender progressive stuff. This is 2016. She believed all this stuff. Okay, and it came it, as soon as she started asking questions. It was obvious that we were going to have clear disagreements. Two, she was a real intellectual. She wanted to learn. She wasn't there to try to condemn me. So in the middle of this conversation, she starts asking me a like she, she's really smart. And about two two com two questions in, she goes, "Wait, wait. Do you think there's two sexes?" <laughs> this is the first time somebody actually asked me that. Right to my face. And I, was, and I looked at her and I said, yes. And to her, it was like, <gasps> you know, I, 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 might, I might as well like said that I think like black people are inferior or something like that. Because she was like shocked, like she was sitting next to a real life bigot. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not trying to say that in any kind of like, uh, you know, insulting way. That's what it felt like. For her, it was like I'm sitting next to a bigot. And then, but then she said, does it say that in the Bible? I said, yes. And she said, where? And then I took a pregnant pause and looked her straight in the eyes. And I said, Genesis chapter 1. You're not even one chapter into the Bible. And the Bible makes it crystal clear. There's male and female. So let's go there. Um, I hope you know these verses by now. This is uh, chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. I won't read all that over the sea and blah, blah, blah. Let's go to verse 27. Here's the verse. It's one of the most important verses in all of history. It's, I cannot believe this is a controversial verse. <laughs> when I was a kid, it was, this is as boring a verse as there is in the Bible. Nobody memorized it. Nobody paid attention to it. It just, whoosh, it just went right by. Okay? But it's super controversial now. <laughs> so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So You've heard me say this before. Let me teach you how to read the Bible. When the Bible repeats, it's important. <laughs> okay? God is, he just knows we're dumb, so he just, let me just say it again so you don't miss it. <laughs> okay? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Him doesn't just mean the male of the species. It means man. <laughs> okay? Representative of all human beings. And then and let me say something about this verse here. There's three lines. The first line just says it, and the second line just basically says the exact same thing, right? It just, just changed the order to catch your attention. Hebrew, the way Hebrew, uh, this is poetic. The way Hebrew poetry works is it'll say two things, two lines, one line, and then the second line. It's saying the same thing twice. But the second time, it'll say it a different way so that the second time, you see something in the first line, and the first line helps you see something in the second line. So here we go. The first two lines are basically the same. So this is exactly Hebrew poetry. First line, God created man's own image and creation. Okay, that, you get that. You see how that's, a, that's one statement. Male and female, he created them. God created man in his own image. And... Um, Male and female, he created them. Now, let me say a few things about this. Um, 
what do you think is human? I've already raised this question. And, and I've said this, if you've been with me for a while, I, I've, tried to, I've, I've tried to give you this theology, but I'll say it again today for anybody who's new, and especially for those of you who are young. There's really only three ways to think about being a human being. So if you look at all the different ideologies out there, there's only three options, okay? Number one, you think of the human being like an animal. It's just another animal. That's the secular way today. We're just, you know, evolution, or like, you know, magic word, abracadabra, except that magic word is evolution, evolution. And then we went from da -da 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 -da, little, and then abracadabra, animal called human beings, okay? So that's totally the secular way of thinking about it. There's a second way of thinking about human beings, and I would say is that the human being is more like devil. <laughs> Let me say that a little bit differently. If you think the human being is like God, the human being is basically God. That is basically human being as devil. <laughs> Every version in all of history where human beings elevate themselves to a godhead, it always turns out wicked and violent, and people die <laughs> in horrible, oppressive ways. That's what we're dealing with today. <laughs> That's American culture today. We, lots of people believe in human being as animal. <laughs> but now, people are believing in human being as God, which is more like devil. <laughs> And the third option is, we're in the image of God. How does that relate to the question of male and female? Both men and women are made in the image of God. It's absolute equality there. There's no, the male is more and the female is less. There's nothing like that. Absolute equality in this verse. So the most important definition of what it means to be human is to image God, to be like God. And do you know that human being, you know, that between male and female, it's absolute equality there. So let me point out a couple other things. There's somehow, there's a difference. There's difference in how God is imaged into the world. There's a male way that God is imaged into the world, and there's a female way that God is imaged into the world, and they're different. They're somehow same, yet different. Okay, are you hearing me? Now, let me say it a little bit differently. Men cannot give the full image of God on their own. <laughs> Women cannot give the fullness of the image of God on their own. Only together, male and female, can we more fully image God. Are you hearing me? No one man, or even all men, <laughs> can say we're in the image of God. The only we that can all say we're in the image of God is men and women. So here are the implications. There's something beautiful in you that isn't just animal, and it's certainly not from the devil. It's from God. And here's the next verse I want to say. It is God said is very good. Genesis 1.31. Let's go to that verse. God said that you are made very good. This is the part of you that's very, very good. But you know what? God was not interested in just you being very good. He wanted you to go. Do you remember this message I gave a couple weeks ago? There's good, very good, beautiful, glorious. God wanted you to steward, you to have dominion over your maleness. Women, you are been given this gift of being female. Being female is to have a special beauty and glory of God that the men don't have. So each men and women have something beautiful and amazing from God which reflects him. But we also have the weakness that we don't have everything. And only together, see, this is why we call it complementarity. It's difference with complementarity. And only together 
do we have a hope to begin to show everyone in the whole world that, that there's a glory of God in the human nature, okay? Now, um, I want to say a couple more things here. Nobody is truly autonomous. So you know this word autonomous? Uh, uh, this is where auto means self in Greek, and autonomous is like two old Greek words. Auto is self. Nomos means law or rule. Our culture believes the self, the self, rules the self. The self is the total lawmaker for the self. You know what that means? That means you're the god of yourself. And one tremendously important place that that is being played out in our culture is in the definition of male and female. So our culture, the the deeper theology underlying all these things, it just seems like men and women, everybody's using the same definition. We are not. <laughs> we are absolutely not using the same definition. There are some people who operate according to male and female, according to the Bible. We are created. And that femaleness is a beautiful and good thing. Maleness is a beautiful and good thing. But there's a lot of people, they don't believe that. They believe in autonomy. They believe in a religion that I am God over myself, and now we can redefine what it means to be male and female. That's where we're at. And every culture where the men decide we don't need the women and then treat women, like that's been more normal in history. More normal in history is the men think that the women are somehow second class or even subhuman and oppress the women. And so... We are autonomous, and we only need ourselves, and we don't need the women. All those cultures are awful. But you know what? It's strange today. It's kind of starting to flip the other way. The men are toxic. We have a phrase, toxic masculinity. And there's an ideology that the women can't, don't need the men. It's just a reaction, reaction to all the history, but it's a terrible reaction. And autonomy, just us, we don't need them. The women, no men. So we have all these different types of ideologies today, and it's turning out really, really bad. Now let's go one more thing. God wanted you to not just be good or very good as a woman or as a man. So when you grow, when you're young, you're a little girl or a little boy. And then you grow up and you're like, I need to become a woman. And how do you become a good woman? And we need, we need the image. We need someone to give us an image of what beautiful womanhood is. A lot of people are not giving you an image from God. <laughs> They're giving you an image from their understanding of God, which is themselves. <laughs> but when God, when we take an image of femininity or masculinity from God, God is actually giving you a pathway to glory. So let's give me that verse that I want to give that I've been giving you. What was God's intent? Not even just good or very good. That let's go one more Habakkuk. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh, as the waters cover the sea. And you know what? That's what. Good maleness and good femaleness together was intended to do, okay? So I delight in the fact that I don't understand women, <laughs> but they're so wonderful. I mourn today that I meet so many women and they hate femininity. They hate womanhood. I mourn that I meet lots of men, and they're not real men. They're more like boys, and they do not know how to embrace a real masculinity in the image of God. They've picked up some gross, bad way of thinking about being a man, and they're living it out. 35 years old, 45 years old, 45-year-old boys looking at porn, talking about women in some disgusting way, thinking it's so great to sit at home and smoke dope and not contribute into other people's lives and always think it's about me. Right? 
There's so many versions of that. That's not real manhood. And it's destroying us. Okay? So, Revive, did you know that we're here to love our city with your manhood, with your womanhood from God? Our city desperately needs that. Okay? Let's go to part two. I want to, oh, wait. Yeah, let's just go to part two. <laughs> I'm going to um, take you through. Now, why do I call this an anti-Christian religion? That just seems like overblown language, Pastor. Aren't you taking it a little too far? I don't think so. <laughs> now, what I want to do is, you've got to really follow me here. This is like, what I did was I've been reading a book. The book is called The Genesis of Gender by Abigail Favale. So I told you I've done, I've done a bunch of reading, and this book is one of the best. It's astonishing how good this book is. And um, what she means by the Genesis gender, it's a really, it's a clever phrase. She means there's a vision of what it means, what male and female means, which comes from Genesis, the book. She's a Christian. But she also means the beginning of the current understanding of what she calls the Genesis, I mean, the gender paradigm. We might as well call it the gender religion. I call it the gender religion. <laughs> she calls it the gender paradigm. And what I want to do here is this book, usually, you know, like Mark on one little passage, and I'm like, that's a great quote. I find myself reading this book, and I'm like, oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. There's so many. Now, for the sake of this message, what I did was I found a choice section. And just for the sake of time, I'm going to take you through an argument that Abigail Favale makes. Who is Abigail Favale? Abigail Favale um, grew up as a Christian in Utah. So she's actually, it's like a religious minority. Everybody around is a Mormon, except her family was Christian. And then she went to a Christian college, and she thought it's great to be a feminist. So then she began to study feminist theory. Over time, she realized that feminist theory was deeply incompatible with biblical Christianity. And she realized she had kind of gone far away. She always considered herself a Christian, even in a time when she's becoming a full-on like feminist theorist-oriented person. And then she had, I don't know, I would, an epiphany, I would say, mercy from the Holy Spirit. And she realized she was really far from Jesus. And she believed a lot more in this feminist stuff than in Jesus. And so she began to make her way back to the Lord. And this is really remarkable, too. She was studying a Catholic feminist theorist who thankfully was a lot more biblical than just feminist. Not, you know, like certainly it was trying to reshape feminism according to the Bible. And that helped her to come back to the Lord. So today she's actually, um, she ended up becoming Catholic and she's a professor today at uh, University of Notre Dame. It's a fantastic book. I, I urge you to read it, especially those of you who are young. Okay. It's a bit of a nerdy book, but it's really, it's, she makes really difficult stuff as accessible as I've seen. And I want to take you through a series of quotes, which I hope will help you, okay? And you'll give you an idea of how, where we're at. And it'll explain why your companies act the way they do, why social media is such a horrible mess, why people think that they can use a, a pronoun like they, I'm a they. Okay, I don't know if you've met anybody who does it. It's really confusing. Not he or she, I'm they. And, they, and that's not a joke. They're quite serious. So here we go. That's, um, I'm going to take you through some quotes here. The primary goal of a feminist theorist is to dismantle the normalization of heterosexual relationships. So it's normal. Men like women, women like men, we get married, we have babies. That's what we talked about last week, right? The goal is to dismantle that. The tendency to see the male and female sexual relationship as normal and natural, in theory speak, in feminist theory, they have a name for it. It's called heteronormativity. 
okay? The Bible absolutely believes in heteronormativity. That's what it teaches. If you go around to the rest of the world, they don't even have a word for it. That's just how they act. <laughs> the men like the women, and they want to marry women, okay? It's normal, because God made it that way. Except in feminist theory, it's bad, <laughs> and they want to destroy it. The idea that humankind is split into two sexes that are biologically complementary is, for Judith Butler, a social fiction rather than a matter of fact. So who is Judith Butler? Judith Butler is one of the most important feminist scholars in the whole world. Right now, her voice, she's like the top theologian of the feminist religion. Judith Butler, um, when she started to become famous in the late 80s, she was a professor at UC Berkeley. I don't, she, I don't think she's there now. She has, you know, she makes a lot of money. She's an endowed chair at like, I think, European graduate school. I, never, I, don't, I don't even know what that is, but it's prestigious, okay? And um, so she's gonna take you through here, through Judith Butler's view. That's the reigning view that you're getting in your companies right now, okay? Butler's most famous contribution to gender studies is her concept of gender as a performance. In 1988, she rolls out that what we perceive to be gender is actually an unconscious, socially compelled performance that creates the illusion of an essence. So you have this, you perform like a woman. And so you think there's this essential thing inside you called woman, but really it's just an illusion. Culture just gave you a script and then called you a woman. That's what Judith Butler teaches. Um, next slide. There is a sense in which all of us perform or enact and embody our sexed identity. You know, we all kind of have to like act like a woman or act like a man, right? There are lots of young people today who are just rejecting that. Why? Because they believe in Judith Butler. They may not even know who Judith Butler is, but the Judith Butler preaching has seeped down and so now they, they, you know, they want to be bi or trans or whatever new word. I don't even know what it is. Two-spirit. I heard that's one of the new words. Right? So there is a sense in which we all, all of us have to perform or enact or embody our sex identity. But here's what, she, here's what Abigail Fafel says. She's, she's experienced this as a professor because she was a gender studies professor. What students have a harder time seeing is that Butler is arguing something more radical. She's saying that sex identity is only a performance. It's only a performance. There's no underlying essence that God made. There's no underlying like biological unchangeable reality called woman or man. It's only, it's just all cultural fiction. That's all it is. Um, there is no real, real woman or man underneath the various cultural expressions. The cultural expressions themselves are merely creating an illusion, I want to emphasize that, an illusion that men and women exist. Judith Butler's teaching, okay? It's made as accessible as possible by Abigail Favale, all right? So let me jump ahead to the next verse, and she asked this question. How do drag, butch, femme, transgender, transsexual persons enter the political field, Butler asks. They make us not only question what is real and what must be, but they also show us how the norms that govern contemporary notions of reality can be questioned and how new modes of reality can be instituted. This is her political project, dismantling the norms of gender and sex in order to dismantle so-called heteronormativity. They're always like, heteronormativity, it's bad. You know this phrase, cisgender? Cisgender? Kids, when you hear that, you're being sold a religion. 
cisgender is new, new vocabulary. Cisgender is saying, hey, that's just one way of being male. When I was growing up, it's just being male. There was no cisgender. There's just masculinity. Um, let, me, let me close with this last quote. Butler's extreme social constructionist perspective. So, I mean, I'm, all week long I was like, which quote am I going to use? What is social construction? This is what we're living in today. Christians do not believe in social construction. If you believe in the Bible, you believe in God constructed reality and we discover reality. The words that we use is actual, I mean, like this, this podium is actually here. It's reality. I can't just use a word and make it happen. But your perception of reality, your understanding of reality, which happens in your mind, it happens by words. And the words help you discover what is actually real inside of reality. But reality comes from God. That's the Christian understanding. And there's some things, there's the, it has the essence of it. It's like, it has the essence of it. That's how you know if you're like, okay, this doesn't have, okay. So I won't go into all that whole philosophical difference. But social constructionist react goes, there's no essence. You can just name it, and you just make it. Reality is just made up by words inside your head, and they could totally reshape reality how they want, according to power. So, the very idea that heterosexual reproduction is natural for Butler is a harmful script that must be entirely rewritten. It has to be entirely rewritten. This postmodern understanding of truth as power leads to postmodern political praxis, the practice of the way politics is done. So I put that emphasis there, truth as power. Here's what regular, everyday, normal people who live in God's creation think truth is. You experience something, then we put words to it. That word describes the, the reality of what that thing is. It's called court. The, uh, philosophers have a name for it. They call it correspondence. You know, I, I, I meet Tom. You know, he has a masculine body. He sounds like a man, looks like a man. I was like, oh, masculinity. He's a man. <laughs> okay, that's the reality, man. So then I have a word for it, masculinity, man. Tom is a man. Of course, that, well, those words correspond to the truth of the re experience of the reality. So this we call it true. <laughs> but that's not what the postmodern feminists think. Words are just power. Truth is just whatever people can make you think it is. It's pure power. And they're wielding that power. Okay. This postmodern understanding of truth as power leads to postmodern political praxis. You want to know why our politics are just a crazy, insane mess? It's this in which language is intentionally manipulated. Language is intentionally manipulated to institute new modes of reality. We're going to make reality by forcing you to accept it. That is why there's so much emphasis on policing speech. See? The words make the reality. So now they have to police the way we talk creating new pronouns and mandating their use. Judith Butler, she uses the pronoun they. And we have to mandate it, which is, that means if you won't use it, then you'll lose your job. Or we won't promote you. Or we'll kick you out. Or we'll call you a bigot. Um, constantly changing the definitions of terms like gender continually proliferating the new categories and subcategories of identity and desire. That's on purpose. You go and learn some new language, you go, okay, okay, I'm, okay I don't put the heck, LGBT, okay, okay, got, okay, what the heck is Q? When I was young, Q just meant gay. Today, uh, so about a few years ago, I was like, well, Q, Q doesn't mean gay. Q stands for queer, which now means something else. You know what they're doing? They're making you constantly nervous 
to chase after the vocabulary so that if you make a mistake with your vocabulary, you'd be fired. <laughs> That's what it's about. <laughs> it's on purpose. There is a concerted effort to enforce a new social script through an exercise of power. I'll have to stop here for today. There'll be more things to be said in, in future messages, okay? And this, I know that was a heavy thing to re receive. This isn't just an accident of how we're living in, in this crazy mess of a society. And there are deep, profound consequences if we accept this. It's just not like, oh, they're nice people, and we'll just, just go along with it. No, you, you are being demanded to be enslaved into a new religion. They're jamming a religion down our throats. And one of the things I want to say, Revive, we as Christians have been used to always having to try to be kind and nice, okay? But sometimes kindness is not niceness. <laughs> when people are jamming a wicked religion that will literally destroy our children, we can't stop, we can't, we have to choose a different kind of kindness. We have to choose a kindness that's tougher. We have to stand up. And it's not just our kids. It's our neighbor's kids. There's lots of people who are not Christians, but they, they don't want their daughter transitioning, deciding that she has to have her chest removed and become sterilized. That's happening. Right? And that's happening to our neighbors. So brothers and sisters, we absolutely should be concerned about our children if you, anywhere, you work in a company and you have somebody sitting next to you and they're younger than you, they're in their 20s. I mean, that young woman I met, brilliant young woman, went to law school. I mean, you don't get to Stanford Law School unless you're pretty smart, okay? Well, today she's, I mean, she's probably, she was probably 22 back then. And now she's getting closer to 30. And I hope and pray that somewhere along the line, this religion popped. And she realizes it was a lie. So, brothers and sisters, don't you want the goodness of God? Our neighbors desperately need the goodness of God. Now, let me close this message by giving you the gospel. I don't know if you know this, but you pay me to take you to one place in the Bible and then take you to another place in the Bible where Jesus completes what this was mentioned. So I'm going to take you to a place in the Bible that answers Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, because we know today 127 is totally messed up. Okay? So let me take you two verses, two beautiful verses in the Bible, um, and how Christ makes us deeply human again through the image of God. So here we go. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, this is Jesus, is the image of of the invisible God. You know what this is saying? That the human being, the man Jesus, is imaging God. Of course, he's, he is God. He's the son of God. But the son of God became human being so that what Adam failed to do and what was invisible to us, Christ made visible. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. A lot of people have been confused by this. They think it means, well, the Son of God, at some point, he was born. That is the Son, the divine Son was born. And therefore, there's no trinity. That, that's a horrible reading. That's not what the, this passage is saying. It is saying that the Son of God became the man born Jesus. And then as he's born, he became the new Adam, honored as the firstborn of all creation. Do you understand? What was failed by Adam in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus is doing for us. And now he's healing all creation, the firstborn of creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Um, next, please. Uh, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Let's just stop for a moment. There is no dominion. There is no throne. There is no politician. There's no boss. There's no CEO. 
that is higher and will give you the image of God than Jesus. Will you receive that? Do not be afraid of your boss. Do not be afraid of your teachers. Do not be afraid of the, of the religious ideology of our time. All throughout history, those who have believed in Jesus have been persecuted. But he is our He's above our all thrones and dominions. All things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Absolutely, our masculinity and our femininity hold together in him. And let me close with this verse. It's just, it's just an unbelievable verse. It's kind of like this verse that most people just goes right by and nobody pays attention to it. But then everything falls apart. And suddenly this verse makes is helpful. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. This is from Paul. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Hmm? <laughs> you're going, what? That, that was, that's, how you're end, that's how we're going to close out this sermon? Here's what I want to close. In this verse... You know, some of us are thinking about how does Christ, maybe this is the way I want it. Some of your women are going like, but Jesus was a man. How can he give me womanhood in the image of God? The man, Jesus, is going to give me womanhood and complete and heal my feminine image of God? How can that man, Jesus, reach me and redeem me that way and heal my femaleness? This is the verse. So let me unpack this for you, and I'll say the gospel, and we'll close, okay? I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. He's talking about manhood and womanhood, and particularly in marriage, because in the Bible, that's the paradigm way of thinking about it. The husband is the man who's supposed to be the head of his wife. But you know what he says? Christ is the head. And you know what he's saying there? Jesus is the ultimate man. <laughs> Jesus knows how to be the real leader, the real head. So men, all you men, get under the headship of Jesus. <laughs> Only there, he'll give you real manhood. That's what he's saying in that first part. But then he says this. The head of a wife is her husband, which I know that's, I know that's not very popular today, but that's straight, uh, that's straight up. Bible's teaching. In complementarity, the head will be a husband. Absolute equality, but not equality of authority. And it's always servant leadership. Always. Yeah. Never dominating oppressive leadership. Servant leadership. But then here's the way he puts it. And the head of Christ is God. Let me tell you what he's saying there. Ladies, you know he's talking about you there? Ladies, you're going to marry, most of you will marry a man. And you have to practice your femininity in saying, your headship I receive, and I gladly bless you with my feminine image of God. You know who came to receive headship? Who came to say, I will serve, and someone else can be my head, and I will bless while someone else will be my head? That is the call of women. And you know who did that? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said, God, you'll be my head. And thus, he embraced all of the beauty of the image of God. So he imaged God both ways. And let me close out my message this way. Jesus obeyed the headship of God which is more like a feminine obedience and submission. And you know how he did that? By going to the cross. <laughs> and in the cross, all of the wicked and death-causing ways that we choose to be human, like animal or like devil, he washed away by his blood. So that by grace, can give us the full totality of God's image. 
making women beautiful and glorious like God. Making men beautiful and glorious like God. The death and resurrection of Jesus, only Jesus did that for us. Would you, we sang it today. We sang it in our praise time today. The cross before me, the world behind me. Would you look to Jesus? On that cross, my manhood is there. My woman is there. The world behind me. <laughs> There's no turning back from following Jesus. And his words will be the food I eat. Today, would you eat this food and receive the, receive the glorious manhood and womanhood from God through Jesus? Let's pray. We're tremendously broken people, and we are living in an oppressive age. I know there are people in this room who are afraid for their jobs. I know there are young people who said, if I say I'm a Christian and actually believe what the Bible says, kids at school will hate me. I even know of one sister, when she was in school, she was literally slapped in our church because she says she was a Christian and believed what the Bible taught about sexuality. That is what's happening in our culture. But also, all around, we're surrounded by tremendously fearful and anxious. Kids are suicidal today, Lord. And if there's anybody listening to today's message who is in a dark place, who is being oppressed by the lies of people like Judith Butler in our culture, that is being going out through the schools and going out through social media and YouTube and our companies. I pray, Lord, for the young people especially. Would you have mercy on them? If you're listening to today's message and there's a thought in your head that you should cut yourself or kill yourself, please know that God made you very good and beautiful. It is not an accident. He made you a woman. He made you a man. And you can find that beauty and goodness in Jesus. Would you please put those thoughts of self-harm away and throw them away? We pray for you. We beg you, Lord Jesus, to bless these young people. And would you bless our church to live, to love with kindness, a tough kindness, yet gentle. It's so hard. How, how can we tough and gentle? <laughs> Nobody knows how to do it, but all things are possible through you, Jesus. Make us rich and strong, truly men and women in the image of God from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rise and sing this last song in Jesus in response to his word.